Good morning, Southwoods. How are you? Are you good? So honored to be with you today, and I, I just have been looking forward to this. I have so much respect for your pastor, and I just love Greg and Lori and what God has done. And, and uh, I mean, 27 years devoting their lives to this church. Don't you love your pastor and uh, what they have meant to this church and this community? Uh, it's an amazing, amazing thing, and I'm honored to be here today. Greetings from Anaheim, California home of the Ducks hockey team, the Angels baseball team, and Mickey Mouse. And the most expensive, I mean, happiest place on earth uh, is in Anaheim. And if you get out our way, I hope you'll come see us sometime. I realize I've not met most of you. Most of you, you've, you've never heard me speak before. And right away, you're already wondering, Gene, is that your real voice? Do you really sound like that? And uh, yeah, I, I get that kind of everywhere I go, you know, uh, uh, I, I wish, you know, I'd give your audio team a hundred bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White today, you know, kind of, <laughs> Jesus loves your baby, something like that. Uh, but instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. <laughs> so that's uh, what you have uh, this morning. Hey, I'm so excited just to tell you just for a moment about the North American Christian Convention. I think this is one of the greatest Christian conferences in the world, and I really mean that. And it's going to be in your backyard this year. And I'm excited about that because it was in our backyard this past year. The, the conference was in Anaheim last summer. And I'll tell you what I told our people in Anaheim. I told our adults, I said, you know, uh, every summer you send your kids to camp and you send them to CIY conferences because you want God to do something great in their souls and in their lives. And I just looked at all of our adults and said, so what are you going to do to build your soul this summer? What are you going to do to build your life this summer? And the North American Christian Convention is like church camp for big people. And uh, it's going to be awesome, great worship experiences, great morning Bible studies. Ladies, we've got a, a great women's conference planned, coinciding it with uh, guests like Liz Curtis Higgs and best-selling author Ann Voskamp and one of the most dynamic communicators speaking at our women's luncheon, uh, Charlotte Gamble. We've got former NFL player and pastor uh, Derwin Gray and best-selling author John Ortberg and Craig Rochelle speaking and so much more. And uh, I just hope that you'll come. We're going to kick off on Tuesday afternoon, June 27th, and wrap up with a huge after party on Thursday, June 29th. And if you can come all day, those three days, that'd be great. If you can come just for the evenings, uh, that would be great too. And uh, you can register for the conference today. And there's a one day only, Southwoods only discount on the registration today. Uh, that uh, the convention is doing just for you today, $25 off the weekly registration for any of you that want to do that. So rather than me tell you about it, just take a quick look at this video and it'll give you a little glimpse of what's ahead. I think we missed some of our audio on that at the beginning, but you get the idea of what it's about. And uh, I just want to say your pastor has agreed to serve as co-chair of all the local arrangements for this gathering of thousands this year. And I'm enormously grateful for that. And maybe some of you will be serving. So I uh, hope you'll join us. Uh, downtown, June 27th through the 29th. Now, Greg tells me it was 27 years ago, if you can believe it or not, that Southwoods opened its doors for the very first time. And I don't know if you've noticed this about doors, but it seems to me anytime somebody puts up a door, it's not long before somebody comes along and, and slaps a sign on the door. Have you noticed that? And for instance, there are some signs that you see on doors that are helpful when you see them. You say, oh, I, I'm glad that's there. It's an exit. I know how to make my way out of this place right now. There are other signs that when you see them, 
uh, you're relieved because if you've got some physical challenges, think, oh, good, somebody thought of me here before I came. They're prepared. They know that I were coming. There are some signs that you see on doors that just make you want to do bad things, right? When you see them, you just kind of, oh, you know, you want to. And then there are some signs, maybe you're running late for something. It's your, your wedding anniversary, and you forgot to get your wife a gift or something. And so you pull up to the store, and you are so glad. You have so much relief when you see this sign. You're like, yes. Or if you see this, you're like, uh-oh, I'm dead meat, you know. I don't know uh, what I'm going to do on that. There are some times when you're squirming a little bit, and uh, you're looking for a certain room, and you are so relieved when you see this sign right on the room. And then there are some signs, if you're like me, this just confuses the heck out of me when I see this sign. I don't know what to do. I grew up vacationing at a cabin in northern Minnesota on a lake, and, and we had an outhouse that had this sign on it, and I just think that ought to be the universal sign wherever you go. I, I know uh, what that means. There are some signs that make a place feel exclusive. Private property, no trespassing. There are other signs that get a little more detailed about it. You know, private property, uh, no hunting, fishing, trapping, or trespassing for any purpose is strictly forbidden. Violators will be prosecuted. The problem is, when you get close enough to read the fine print on that, they've already tased you, and, and it, it, it's, it's too late. There are some signs that you're just glad to see in advance. For instance, if you were thinking about picking your nose or something, it's just kind of nice to know this uh, before you do that. And then there are some signs that say, we absolutely don't want to buy anything from you, so don't even try to sell us. And there are others, if you do try to sell us something, watch out, because our dog Rover will eat you alive if you uh, do that. There are some signs that communicate exclusivity. You've got to be authorized. You, you, you've got to be permitted in order to, you know, make it through the velvet ropes. Maybe you're thinking about eating somewhere and you see a sign that says, oh, it's, it's, it's members only. It's, it's private. It's exclusive. There are some signs that just get a little more blunt and they just say, keep out. I don't know if you've noticed this about churches, but, but churches tend to have signs on their doors, not maybe literally or physically, but sometimes kind of figuratively speaking. For instance, sometimes you can go to a church and you can sense a sign on the door that says, who the heck are you and what are you doing here? Or maybe you've been to a church before where you've sensed kind of a sign that says, uh, go home and change your clothes. And then when you get a little more acceptable attire, you're welcome here. Or maybe there are some churches where there, you've sensed a sign that says your, your skin's the wrong color. You need to go find one of your own church. Or maybe you've sensed a sign on a church that says, if you have doubts, if you have questions, if you have skepticism, take them somewhere else because we're already convinced. Friends, there is only one sign that should ever and always be on the door of the church of Jesus Christ. And it's simply a sign that says welcome. You are welcome here. This church is for everyone. 
It doesn't matter how old or young you are. This church is for everyone. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how big you are, how strong you are. This church is for everyone. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in, what side of the tracks you come from, what kind of car you drive. This church is for everyone. It doesn't matter what physical challenges you might have. This church is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're broken, lonely. It doesn't matter if you have all kinds of mistakes in your past and failures that you're coming through. This church is for everyone. It's welcome. The sign on the door of the church of Jesus Christ should always read, welcome. The church is for everyone. You say, Gene, where do you come up with the idea that the church of Jesus Christ is for everyone? Right out of the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching before thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. And it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. And it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice it's for everyone. You turn the pages in the Bible to the book of Romans chapter 1 and the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to, say it, everyone who believes. It's for everyone. It's not for an exclusive club. It's not for a few. It's for everyone. And then when you turn later in the New Testament and you get to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says there the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you see a theme emerging there? Friends, Scripture couldn't be more clear. God's heart and God's house is for everyone. But to be honest with you, I've not always lived up to that. I've not always lived like I believed that. I grew up in central Illinois in a predominantly white, middle-class, conservative, small-town pastor's home. But when I was 25 years old, I moved to Las Vegas and I became pastor of a church there. I had no idea what to expect of church in Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas church sounds like an oxymoron, right? You know, and were they going to have Elvis impersonators doing a prelude, you know, girls in bikinis announcing hymn numbers, you know, kind of the... <laughs> they have tithe machines in the lobby. I didn't know what it would be like. But I spent the next 18 years of my life in Las Vegas... And I found out some things I didn't know growing up in my little town of Lincoln, Illinois. I found out that the world that I grew up in was not the real world. At least it was only a little narrow slice of the real world. In the town that I grew up in, I never had to confront my feelings about people who were different than me religiously, socially, financially, spiritually, sexually, because I really didn't know anybody that was different than me. At least I didn't think I did. I didn't have to confront my feelings about people who followed other major world religions because I didn't know anybody who followed other major world religions. I didn't have to confront my feelings about people who were a part of the LGBTQ community because I didn't think I knew anybody in Lincoln, Illinois, a part of that community. I always had assumed that those people who were different than me were out there somewhere. And when I moved to Las Vegas, I found out they were out there. <laughs> and those years in Las Vegas were so good for me. 
because I had to wrestle in fresh ways and it redefined my life in ministry with what Jesus really meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That was a lot easier to do in my hometown of Lincoln, Illinois, because my neighbors were a lot like me. But in Vegas, that became a new challenge for me because as I read those words from Jesus, I notice Jesus doesn't put any qualifiers on it. There's no prerequisite. There's no asterisk by it. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor if he dresses like you or if she believes like you do or love your neighbor if they don't ever cheat on your spouse or love your neighbor if they vote like you do or live a lifestyle like yours. He just said, love your neighbor as yourself, period. Oh, except those who have different political leanings, you don't have to love them. He didn't say that. Except those who have a different ethnic heritage, you don't have to love them. No, he didn't say that. Except those who follow a different God or different practice than you do, you don't have to love them. He didn't say that. Except those who are addicted and strung out, you don't have to love them. He didn't say that. Except those who lead a different lifestyle than you. No, Jesus said, just treat them, whoever they are, with love. But honestly, sometimes I don't love very well. I was at a softball game at a local park a while back, and I was sitting in some bleachers. There were quite a few people in the bleachers watching the game. And I couldn't help but overhear the conversation that the people who were in the rows in front of me were having with each other. You know, I was just kind of eavesdropping on their conversation. Don't look at me like you've never done that, because I know you. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe you would do that. Yeah, so uh, I'm listening to their conversation, and they were kind of recounting their lifestyle of the last few weeks and basically their lifestyle was get up go to work go someplace and party after work find somebody to sleep with that night go to bed get up go to work go party after work find somebody else to sleep with that night at a party you know go to bed etc and it was just kind of that pattern over and over again and so i'm listening to that conversation and do you know what i found going on inside of me i didn't find myself my heart breaking I didn't find myself saying, oh, if it weren't for the grace of God in my life, I could be on that same kind of endless, meaningless cycle in my life. I just found myself saying, whoa, I'm sure thankful I'm not like them. That's what I found myself saying. And I leaned over to a friend who was sitting next to me and I said, you're not going to believe the conversation these people are having. I just kind of recounted the conversation that I just shared with you. And here's what I said to my friend sitting next to me. Your guest speaker, Gene Apple, this weekend said, I said, they're a bunch of sleazeballs. (laughs) And my friend looked at me and said, Gene, every time I'm in a setting like this, I just think to myself, this is where Jesus would be. These are the people he would be hanging out with. These are the people he would be loving. And it was like God used those words just like a dart from the Holy Spirit right into my soul. And I remember dropping my my face into my hands saying, God, what is the matter with me? I'm a person who gets to stand up every weekend and tell people how valuable they are to you, how much you love them, the extent you have gone to to love them. And, And I'm not loving very well right now. You see, I can be one of those people that Jesus talked about that likes to look at the speck in other people's eyes while I'm walking around with a big plank or a log in my own eye. 
I can be one of those people who likes to take that log, that plank in my eye, and use it to build walls between myself and people who are different than me rather than build bridges to people who are different than me. And as I read the Bible, I discover I'm not the only one. In Acts chapter 10, we see a side of the Apostle Peter that's uncomfortable for us to see that we're not used to seeing. Even though Peter was handpicked by Jesus to be an apostle, even though Peter was there on the day when the words rolled off of Jesus' lips, therefore go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, he's saying all ethnic groups, all people groups, even though Peter was the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and said those words, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even all of that, the fact is, Peter was a deeply prejudiced guy. He was prejudiced against anybody that wasn't a Jew. He was a self-righteous individual. He was brought up in an atmosphere that had led him to believe that anybody that wasn't a Jew was less than human. That if you accidentally brushed up against a non-Jew in public, you needed to go home and immediately wash the contamination off yourself. He had grown up in an environment that taught you never help a non-Jewish woman or a Gentile woman at a time of childbirth because you're bringing a non-Jew into the world. He'd grown up in an environment where he was taught that you never go into the home of a Gentile or you never have them into your home because that would defile you. And in the first 10 years of church history, did you know this? There is no record of anyone communicating the good news of amazing grace through Jesus Christ to one single Gentile. And that was comfortable for Peter. And that felt safe for Peter. And God had to take Peter out of his comfort zone. And he brought him face to face with a Gentile, a Roman guard, a centurion named Cornelius and his household. And he watched God change Cornelius' life and his family's life. And Peter said this when he was watching this in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. He said, I now realize that it is true that God treats, there's that word, say it, everyone on the same basis. Whoever fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, no matter what race he belongs to. You see, we all have this instinctive dark nature that, that Peter had to take these planks in our eyes and use them to build walls between ourselves and people that are different from us. For you, maybe it's people of different skin colors or different nationalities, whether they're uh, Asian or Latino or black or white or Arab, or Jew. For some, it's political liberals that you can't stand. For others, it's political conservatives that make your blood boil. For some, it's the body-pierced, tattooed, covered individual that looks so different than you. Or maybe for you, it's the graying senior who seems so out of touch in a world of iPads, iPhones, and text messaging. Or maybe it's the neighbor who doesn't believe like you do or the party guy down the block who lives a different lifestyle so opposite from yours. Maybe it's someone who follows a different school of religious thought, Mormonism, Islam, Judaism, New Age kinds of beliefs, Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism. For some, it's the person who's HIV infected. When my wife Barbara and I got married, I had this antique children's bank that uh, I have a picture of there. And uh, 
It had been given to me as a child. It was kind of nicked up in some parts. There had been some cast iron that had been cracked. But it was the, the children's bank of a family friend of ours when she was a little girl, and it was an antique. And I'd had it for many years. You'd put, like, that little guy, he's got his hand out. You'd put a nickel or a, a dime in his hand, and there was a lever on the side that you would pull, and he would deposit the coin into the side of the bank. It was called a picture gallery bank. And I had always had this bank prominently displayed on a shelf in my bedroom where I intended to continue to prominently display it on a shelf in my bedroom after my wife Barbara and I got married. (laughs) But Barbara had different interior design ideas than I did. She thought it was an eyesore. She thought it would look nicer in the closet or something like that. And I said, but honey, people collect this stuff. This is, this is valuable. It's more valuable than you think it is. And she said, who would want something like that? She said, you ought to feel guilty if you got $5 at a garage sale for it. I said, honey, I don't think you understand. This is a collectible. It could be worth a lot of money to some people. And she just continued to doubt me. So one day, uh, she took the bank to an antique dealer store. And she walked in and she said, my husband has this bank of his that he's had since he was a kid. And he insists it's worth something. And she goes, I wonder what you would give us for it. And he looked it over and he said, I'll give you $120 for it. Now, do you think my wife is going to take $120 for that bank now that she knows an antique dealer is going to give her that? Not on your life. She calls me all excited right away. She goes, honey, honey, guess what? Our bank might be... Yeah, now it's our, our bank might be worth a lot more than we thought it was. And so we started contacting some collectors. We sent some pictures to a collector in Washington, D.C. He said, I will overnight you a cashier's check for $2,000 for that bank. Oh, do you think my wife's going to take $2,000 for this bank? Not in a million years. To make a long story short, we eventually sold that bank to a collector in Pennsylvania for $4,000. Aren't you happy for us? The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. <laughs> all of a sudden, we were looking through all of our closets going, what other junk do we have in here that we could get rid of? True story. I pulled that picture offline a while back. Uh, this is identical to the bank that I had, and uh, a picture gallery bank, just like that. And this particular bank had just sold at auction for $52,000. So you can see how brilliant we were to sell our bank for $4,000. Now, I told you that story to remind you of something that we all know, and that is that value of something is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it, right? The value of that bank was not determined by what it was worth to Barbara. The value of the bank was determined by what a collector was willing to pay for it. The value of your house is not determined by what an appraiser says it's worth ultimately. The value of your house is only worth what somebody is willing to pay you for your house. Let me show you the value of all people. Here's the value of every single human being that you have ever laid eyes on in your life. Maybe the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? He gave. What was he willing to give? What price was he willing to pay? His one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. But have eternal life. We can look at people and we can, on the outside, look at them and say, they're not even garage sale material. God looks at them and says, oh no, I will give the life of my one and only son for them.
That's how valuable you are. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey right now. I don't know if you love God, hate God. I don't know if you love church, hate church. But I do know this. If your picture of God is anything other than a God who loves you unconditionally, you have the wrong picture of God. His love is for everyone. It's for frat boys and girls gone wild. His love is for hell's angels, bikers, and gang members, and people counting their days clean and sober. His love is for those with special needs and victims of rape. His love is for firefighters and farmers and truck drivers and dishwashers and stockbrokers and CEOs and stay-at-home moms. His love is for factory workers. His love is for politicians and meth dealers and tattoo parlor owners. His love is for families falling apart. His love is for families that are pretending that they have it together. His love is for people who've gone to Sunday school ever since the day they were born. His love is for people who've never been through the door of a church. His love is for everyone. And listen, his love is for you. It's for you. As I told you, those years in Vegas were so good for me because I had to wrestle in a fresh way with those words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. And a few years before my wife Barbara and I left Las Vegas, we moved into a a new neighborhood to us that forced us to deal with the natural inclination that we had to take the plank in our eyes and use it to build walls instead of bridges. It was a really eclectic neighborhood that we moved into with uh, very eclectic neighbors. And the house directly behind us, like our backyard was into their backyard, uh, there was a Mormon family. And on the house on this side of us was a Hindu family. And across the street from us was a Jewish family. And then on this side of us was just your basic Las Vegas heathen family. (laughs) He was an attorney. She was a topless dancer in a Las Vegas show. They had two Mercedes in the driveway. And our kids played with their kids every day. So what do you do with that? God is just so good at bringing things we've resisted all of our lives and bringing us face to face with them. Well, we started to get to know these neighbors, especially the Jewish family across the street and the heathens next door because we all had kids the same age. And some of you who've had kids, you know, know that that when you have kids the same age, you know, they just play a lot. And and our kids would be in their house and their kids would be in our house. and, And we'd do birthday parties together and all that kind of thing. Our neighbors would go on vacation and ask us to get their newspaper and their mail for them. And let me tell you, there were some interesting subscriptions in there. And, uh, They'd do birthday parties at their house, and there were all kinds, I'm just telling you the truth, lots of surgically enhanced people at those birthday parties, okay? (laughs) And so we started to get to know these neighbors. And the surprising thing to us was we started to like these neighbors. And even more than that, we began to love these neighbors. And we started understanding what was hanging in the balance for them spiritually and what the stakes were for them. And so we just started praying, God, would you use us? Would you use us somehow to be bridge builders to our neighbors? And given where they were all at spiritually, we thought, well, it's probably going to be five years before we even can get them in the door of a church for the first time. This is going to be a long-term project and we're in it for the long term. 
And then about a year after living in that neighborhood, 9-11 happened. And those of you who are old enough to remember 9-11 and the events of that week will remember that not only did it change our whole nation in a moment, but that weekend, it seemed like everybody in the U.S. was in church somewhere that weekend. Because there was nothing else to do. There were no sporting events going on. There were no airplanes flying. Everybody went to church that weekend. So we had a 9 o'clock service that morning at our church. And uh, after the service, I was back in my office and putting my notes together and getting ready for the next service. And my wife, Barbara, walks in and she's got tears coming down her face. And she goes, you'll never guess who I just sat with. And I said, who? And she said the name of the heathens, the attorney in the top list answer next door. And I said, What? And she said, yeah, I was just walking into church this morning. And just as I was walking in the door, they were just walking in at the same time. And and so we sat together and we hadn't talked to them for a few days. And what we didn't know was the best man in their wedding had been killed in the collapse of one of the World Trade Center towers in New York City. And they were grieving and they were hurting and they didn't have a church. And we were the only church that they knew of. And they just showed up. And that morning during the service, I didn't even know they were there. But I asked people who had been touched personally by one of the tragedies, whether it was in New York City or Washington, D.C. or in Pennsylvania that week, to just stand. And it was amazing. There were quite a number of people that had personal you know, experience and, and relationships. with pe- They'd lost friends and family. And I said, if somebody's standing near you right now, would you just put your hand on them and pray for them? And what I didn't know is my neighbors, my heathen neighbors are standing for prayer. And my wife is reaching out with her hands on them in that service. And she's praying for them. and Tears are coming down their face. So I go into our 11 o'clock service that day. And the service is over. And I'm out just trying to touch and encourage and bless as many people as I can in the hallways. And all of a sudden, I look down the hall. And I see my Jewish neighbor from across the street coming right at me. And her name was Stacy, and she came up, and she just gave me a big bear hug, and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Jean, you have no idea, no idea what being here today has meant to me. And God used that tragedy to be a spiritual turning point in the lives of my neighbors. When we left Las Vegas... We had so many difficult goodbyes. We left our oldest son there who was finishing college at the time. We left my wife's family. She'd grown up there. We had all our goodbyes to her. We left a church family that I'd been a part of for 18 years. So many difficult goodbyes. But the thing that took us really by complete surprise was that our most difficult goodbye was to our neighbors that we used to think we didn't have anything in common with. Friends, God's dream and God's heart for his church has always been that his house would be for everyone. That we would love our neighbors, that we would be bridge builders instead of wall builders to people that are different than us. You see, a gospel that isn't for everyone everywhere isn't really for anyone anywhere. And that doesn't mean that you can't have sincere disagreements. 
It doesn't mean that you have the permission to compromise the truth because we are told to speak the truth in love. But it does mean that you don't label, you don't slam dunk, you don't write off, you don't demean other people. Because when we make demeaning comments about other people, think about this. We are demeaning the very God in whose image they are made. And that's sin. Listen, I want you to know something about your neighbor's your colleagues at work, the students that you go to school with who seem so disinterested in God, who seem so disinterested in spiritual things, I want you to know deep down, they really are interested. They really are. Ever play hide-and-seek when you were a kid? Everybody played hide-and-seek? Sure. What's the object of the game in hide-and-seek? Not to be found, right? You want to hide so good that nobody finds you. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you really not want to be found? Is there anybody that like, hey, they've been hiding for 25 years now. They're so good. <laughs> no, you wanted to be found. And like, if it went for a while and they didn't find you, what would you do? You'd do a boop. You'd stick out a hand, you'd stick out a foot because you want people to find you. Listen, we've all got people in our relational world who leave the impression that they don't want to be found. But if you look carefully, there's a hand out. If you look carefully, there's a foot out. And they're saying, I need something more. I need a God who loves me. I need a God who cares about me. I need a new start and a new beginning. And I would just say to you today, listen, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, Jesus will start with you right where you are. If you're spiritually exploring right now and asking questions, this is a safe place to do that, and the door is open for you here. If you're sensing your need for God and a Savior from your sin, for your failures, your foul-ups, we've got a lot of them, all of us do, you're welcome here. If you've known God and the love of Jesus Christ and you've kind of gotten off track somewhere along the way, and you want to get back on track with him, the doors are wide open here for you to come back and to start all over. Because, friends, listen, this Savior and this gospel and this church, it's for everyone. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Greg to come, and he's going to close us. When I think about the generation in which we live right now, I think of Scripture which speaks about how you know, in the last days, they'll be lovers of themselves and their money. And I just think that's where we are. In many respects, we love ourselves and we love our money. And this is not just people outside the family of God. This is the family of God in many respects. And so I'm just thrilled that Gene's theme this summer is this is for everyone. Because right now, the church, local us, as well as nationwide, needs to be re- refocused on really what what God's perspective is, and uh, we need to be refocused. So I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to pray that God will help us to, to live this way. And secondly, we're going to pray for the convention that God will help not just our church, but churches all across North America and the world to stay focused on what our real calling is. All right, let's pray our heads together. Thank you for being here. If you need prayer for something specifically afterwards, come on down here afterwards, and we'll uh, be happy to pray for you, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that the price you were willing to pay for every single one of us was your life, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. You gave your life that we might know you and be yours now and forever. We're eternally indebted to you for that. 
We don't deserve that kind of kindness. We don't deserve that kind of grace. Father, everyone around us deserves that kind of grace because that's the price you've paid for them as well. Our request is, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to see the people around us through your eyes. We would recognize that every person we lock eyes with has an infinite value to you. Help us to love them like you love. Help us to reach out to them and serve them and shepherd them as you would and and trust that as we love them and as you're increasingly a part of their lives and our lives that we'll be transformed into good and godly people over time. That That is what you want to bring about. Help us to that end, Lord. We pray that for Southwoods, Lord, that we will be a church where the door is always open, where people are welcome. And we pray, Lord Jesus, for the church all across America, all across Kansas City, that the doors will be open for people who you died, Lord Jesus, to save. Thank you, Father, for Gene, for his vision, for his leadership, for his gifting. And we pray your blessing on him as he speaks all over the city of Kansas City in the coming months. Pray, God, that, you'll, that you will grant him authority and blessing in every place he goes. We pray, Father, for the churches of the city that will just be transformed in, in positive, God-honoring ways. And, Father, we'll rejoice uh, to be your children and to see you at work in us, in spite of us, in partnership with us. We, we, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Thank you, Gene.